Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to The Delicious Podcast with me, Jilly Smith. And this week I'm with Nadia Hussain, who talks to me about brand girls on TV, panic disorder, being a role model for Muslim women, and acknowledges for the first time the influence of her father, a Bangladeshi restaurateur in Britain in the 1980s and 90s, on her own cooking. And as she celebrates the publication of her latest book and TV series called Time to Eat, I asked her, where did time go? Whoever's responsible needs to give it back to us. Um... I suppose for me, I went from being at home with my parents and my mum did all of the cooking and my dad worked at the restaurant and he would bring food back. And so we always, I was never in the fold of cooking. Yeah, occasionally I'd jump in the kitchen and and cook a meal because my mum wasn't around or she was doing something, she was busy. But I never really got into cooking till I got married. And then that was it. That was that moment when I got married and I had children that time had suddenly gone. It no longer existed. Um, Within a year, I had my first child. So, you know, suddenly I had no time. But what I realized was I have this little human being that I have to look after. And I was spending a lot of time in the kitchen cooking for my husband and just kind of cooking because I was anxious. But, you know... And, and, and he would just sit there in the kitchen and watch me cook. And I, I wasn't actually doing anything with him. And so I kind of created this. It just kind of happened where I realized that if I just cook a little bit extra and stick a little bit in the freezer, then that means that next week when I need to eat, I could just pop that meal out of the freezer yeah. and then I'll have done all the cooking. And so I found myself kind of cooking one week and saving the next. So I had all this. So one week I'd be cooking like mad in the kitchen and spending not that much time with my family and then. By the second week, I suddenly had this extra week off. And that's what it was. And I was like, oh, wow. So I haven't I haven't used up any extra time cooking. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. And I didn't really think about it. And it's just, it's just suddenly evolved over the last five or six years where I've become better at not wasting things, using as much as possible. And kind of, to me, everything is an ingredient. If I can... If it doesn't kill me, I can probably cook it. Yeah. And you do give us, you give us five rules, which we'll, we'll get from you in a second. But yeah. let me just tease out a little bit more about that issue of we've lost time. We're all busy people. We all do lots of stuff. But actually, you know, you took, you did take great pride in describing yourself as a housewife. And I took from that that you spend a lot of time with your, your home, your family. You spend a lot of time talking about your children. It's very clear what your values are. And by its very nature, that means that you are at home and you are spending a lot of time cooking. With the kids, you know, Bake Off is, was so popular with teenagers because actually people just love to spend afternoons after school 
baking cakes, which feels like it's an impossible dream. How much time do you, do you spend baking cakes with the kids after school? I um I baked three I think three things yesterday. I did a babka, I did some brownies, and I did a cake, just a simple Madeira with some blueberries yesterday. And that was none of that involved the kids at all. They ate it all though, um, <laughs> but that didn't involve the kids at all. But something like you look back at when I look back at Bake Off, that was very that was a very kind of weird point in my life where I was baking and it was for a competition and it was really weird because you couldn't you can't just exit yourself out of life you can't just um bake for this competition and and not have a life around you yeah. and and so much of my life revolves around my children you know they're there and you know yeah. they need to cook and they need to eat and they're not restricted in the kitchen I don't allow you know it's not my kitchen it's our kitchen and we do everything in there together so even while I was doing bake-off they were around which was really good for me actually because they were the distraction they were almost like having the cameraman in the tent <laughs> Because they would come in and pull and tug and, Mum, can you do this? Mum, can you ask me? Can you can you listen to me read? And so they were that distraction that I needed. So somehow the tent felt like, sometimes felt like a piece of cake. I was like, try doing this with three kids. I'd rather have a cameraman, thank you very much. Um, but, you know, I still bake and I still spend a lot of time in the kitchen. And it's it now, I think the difference is, there's no we don't have a set time where I say, kids, should we bake together? They just come in. Yeah. They're like, can I chop those? can I chop that chocolate for you or can I grate that cheese or you know they're always in there helping me do things and it doesn't feel like little kids trying to coax them into the kitchen trying to get them to bake it's just become a part of our life and that's exactly what I've always wanted is that the kitchen becomes a part of their everyday life and it has I don't think you have to coax kids into the kitchen to bake cakes do you um well you know what you say that you say that but my second son does not like being in the kitchen Mm. so I used to be quite forceful and come on, you need to come and join us and you need to come and, and do this with us. And he's just not, even now he's not interested, but he loves doing the washing up. Right. He loves loading the dishwasher. Yeah. So do you know what? It's absolutely fine. And he says, if all of you lot are cooking, what do I need to cook for? Bit like my husband who says the same thing, which means he doesn't cook at all. <laughs> There's a lovely bit in the introduction where you talk about sitting down on the floor with the kids, feeding them with your hands. Yeah. And it's something that your mum did for you. Yeah. Tell us why you do that. So the reason why my mum used to do it, because it was easier. <laughs> so she would get the microwave plate out of the microwave and she would stack up rice and curry on that. And then she would feed us one by one, all six of us. Um, and, and she did that because it saved on time, on washing, and it just meant that we were spending less time sitting and eating. She's just like, let's just get this done and let's go. But it became a thing. You know, it was lovely to sit there, wait your turn for mum to come and feed you. And it was lovely. And something about when your mum mixes your rice, it tastes better. It just, it just does taste better. Even now, when she's eating something I like the look of, she'll pop some into my mouth and it just tastes better than if I had done it. It wouldn't have tasted the same. So we have this thing that we call, we call it greedy feedy. Um, and we do it once a week and we sit down and we have a massive bowl and we stack up all the food in there and they sit down and it gives us an opportunity to talk to each other. And actually it gives me an opportunity to feed them, but look directly in their eyes because sometimes we're so busy and I'm doing things and they're moving around and I don't look them in the eyes Mm. and they don't look at mine Mm. so it just gives me an opportunity to look them in the eyes and just to give myself that opportunity once a week is is just lovely and um and I get to feed them with my hands and they say it's the best rice that they ever eat is when I feed them with their hands so lovely lovely picture actually I really love that idea now we're doing a taste like home and you've chosen you've chosen one recipe that 
through which we can understand a little bit more about where you come from. What's the recipe? So it's a the recipe it's and it's in the book. It's called a it's a lamb dansak, which lots of people recognise from Indian restaurant menus. Now my dad used to run restaurants growing up. He ran restaurants and and he never served food that we ate at home. So what my mum cooked at home was traditional Bangladeshi food. But dad cooked the kind of Indian food slightly tailored to the Western palate. So there was nuts and cream and that kind of stuff we would never use in our cooking at home. And they were two different worlds entirely. Like mum's cooking, dad's cooking two different things. Um, and I always wondered what a lamb dansak tasted like. Never ate one. You know, dad served it every night, but he would never, ever bring one home. And I never tasted it. So I did taste it once. And I was like, oh, this is... This is all right. But dad said that's the one that takes the longest to cook because it's lamb that's cooked really slowly. And then you add lentils to it and then you cook the lentils down and it takes a really, really long time. So he said that's the one that's expensive on the menu, but it's the one that takes the longest to cook. Um, but for me, it's kind of weird because I didn't grow up eating that food, but it was really tasty because it was totally different to what mum cooked. Yeah. And my mum's like, for her, it's like it was like I was cheating on her. I remember eating it and, and I was like, mum, that's really nice. She goes, no, it's not. Like, I feed you delicious food at home. <laughs> so this massive, I remember this massive row kind of um, over this lamb dansak. And, and I was like, mum, it's really nice. She's like, oh, I'm never going to eat that. So she's totally against eating any of, of the food from the restaurant. She goes, oh, no, no, I'm not going to eat that. The stuff we eat is really good. And I give it to her. You know, the way she cooks is absolutely amazing. But I really like that lamb dansak. It was really nice. I had a little bit of cream on top as well. So I was like, oh, this is really nice. Um, but it takes hours to cook. So whenever I cook a lamb dansak, and this is a lot to do with how I cook now. Like I could do a lamb dansak from scratch, but I want to save time. And this is what this book is Batch all... cooking lamb dancer. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. But, you know, I don't want to sit on a... St- I don't want my curry to sit on a stove for hours and hours. And I have to kind of like... I have to be in the house. Yeah. Once that's, whilst that's cooking for the five, six hours, I have to... S- I have to be in the house. So I'm kind of like almost chained to my house. And I want to be out doing other things. So... This And again, this is a lot to do with how I cook and, and, and the way I've written this book is... So I, I have lentils, but rather than using lentils, I use a can of kidney beans and blitz the kidney beans because somebody else has gone to the trouble of soaking and cooking those beans for me, which means I don't have to do it. So I get my land dad sack. My mum gets annoyed with me, <laughs> but I do it in less than half the time. And what's your dad think of it? He thinks... Well, he has... He's had it. <laughs> And um, he says he always he's had it a couple of times and he says it tastes better than the stuff at the restaurant because they had like a, a, a certain way of doing it. And that's the way they cooked it. And I, I like to use loads of chilies. So he likes it. And he's like, well, good on you for not spending all day on, the, on um, you know, kind of stirring it and cooking it. So, you know, and, and canned I think people are afraid of canned food. And I think I love using canned food. So, yeah, why not? No problem with it at all. Just that little image of little Nadia going into the restaurant because you were able you were allowed to go into the restaurant yeah, weren't yeah, you yeah. and and seeing you know your dad cooking that very sort of westernized version yeah. of your food how do you feel about that that food that your father created then was it a positive thing that that generation of Bangladeshis did they kind of westernized their food they 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 made it more creamy more nuttier was that a good thing in the context of cohesion and integration can you can you talk a little bit about the role of that generation's food in blending in i mean it's really nice 
I mean, it's, it's, it's really easy for me to sit here and say, oh, you know, I wish my dad had done proper Bangladeshi food and, and like, you know, kind of taken some, a skill and, and a cuisine so beautiful and, and like ran with it and said, here it is and given it to the world. But let's face it, you know, a lot of, like, I know for my parents, first generation British, they came to this country and it's really easy for me to sit back. Um, it's really, it's really easy for me as a first generation British to sit back and say, oh, dad, I wish you'd done this and I wish you'd done it differently. But as an immigrant, you know, they did what they had to do to survive mm. uh, and to eat and to live and look after their families. And it wasn't something that, you know, it was just something that he fell into and it was something that people had been doing for years before him. So, you know, yeah, he didn't go and, and, and sort of start flying a flag and saying, I'm going to cook Bangladeshi food. And it's really odd because actually, if you look at, the way I cook, um, it's no different to his because in some ways, you know, I don't sit here and, and I haven't written a book where it's just all Bangladeshi recipes. Uh, of far course. from it. I exactly. mean, it's literally from all over the world, it's, isn't it? You've got bao buns, you've got peanut butter, jelly stuff, you've got cheesecake croissants, you've got all sorts of stuff in there. Exactly. So I am actually in some ways, you know, 34 years later, no different to my dad. Because there was a time when I was about sort of, you know, angsty and, and a teenager. And I remember saying to him, why don't you like do proper Bangladeshi food? Why are we doing this stuff? And, you know, why are we, you know, why are we adding cream and nuts when that's not how we eat? Why don't you show people what Bangladeshi food is really like? And it's really weird because I had those conversations with dad and here I am. I'm not cooking Bangladeshi food. Yeah, there are elements, which I'm so proud of, and there are recipes in there that have elements of the things that I grew up with. But, you know, I'm, I'm first-generation British, you know, I'm Bangladeshi, and, you know, I am so proud of, of, of this kind of melting pot of cuisines that we have suddenly become. And I think I'm, you know, the fact that I can write a book and it has a little bit of everything means that I've kind of weirdly become my dad. <laughs> I have become the one person that I never wanted to be is my dad. <laughs> and 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 I've said it now and and he can he can have that one. Um but yeah, it's you know and I'm proud of that. Yeah. And so he should be too. Yeah. But is I mean obviously sort of what you've done is you've really integrated. You know, you say that you didn't see brown girls on television. There weren't brown girls on no. television and you really broke that you broke the mold on that one. That's that's really really positive in terms of representation. What impact do you think that's had on the next generation? Look at your kids and their generation. What what can you just give us a vision to end of what's going to happen with integration in Britain at this very difficult time? Yeah, well see we when I did Bake Off, I didn't think about the fact that I grew up kind of walking into rooms and knowing that, you know, suddenly I've walked in and the room goes quiet and I've, I've you know, and, 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 you know, people kind of almost struggling to ask a question because they're not sure if they're going to offend me. So, um, I, I was, I've, I've become used to being kind of the oddball, I suppose. Um, and I didn't do Bake Off because I was out there to empower women or to represent brown colored people. I didn't go out there to represent anyone. I just went there because your husband told you to, my husband said, <laughs> well, you know, like my husband said, you, I don't listen to my husband, by the way, and he never tells me to do anything. Um, in fact, it's probably the other way around. Um, but I have panic disorder and um, and I suffer with that quite badly. And it got to a point where it's so bad that my husband just said, I think you need to do something for you. I think you need to get out there and, and not do anything for me and the kids. You need to just go off and do your own thing. And that's the reason why I did it. Of course, having done it now, I look back and I think about what it did 
for representation and to um you know I look back and literally <clears throat> from the moment I I was on Bake Off you know I I was always kind of flooded with questions of you know you, you you're the first muslim woman and you know you're you're a woman of color and and so it was really interesting because like four years ago three and a half you can't believe it's been nearly four years if you'd asked me I would have said oh no no I kind of just want to be me and I want to cook and I want to bake and I wouldn't have understood the importance of it but nearly four years on I understand the importance of it now yeah we are in tricky times now what with Brexit and 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 you know just I mean I'm not even going to say I don't want to say the Trump word but yeah, I said it but you know, with with what's happening right now, um, you kind of look and you think, oh, you know, what's going to happen to the next generation? I worry about my children and that generation, um, you know, but I can, you have to kind of find the good in all of that. And, you know, I can't, it's, it feels, it's quite, feels quite heavy to think about the fact that I represent Muslim women and women, people of colour. But actually, I'm willing to bear that burden almost because it's, at a time where it is quite tricky and quite difficult, we have to find the light. And I think um, I sometimes I wonder, what am I doing here? Like, what, what, why am I doing this and who am I doing this for? And I look at my little girl who goes to theatre and says, Mommy, there's nobody with... She calls herself in between. So I've got dark skin and her dad's got fair skin. And so she's got quite... She's got beautiful olive skin. And she says that she's somewhere in between which she means in between me and her dad. But she, when we went to theatre for the first time four or five years ago, she just said, Mummy, there's nobody on stage with in-between skin like me. And from that moment, she, I remember her saying, I want to be on stage with in-between skin. And that's what she wants to do. So, you know, here we are four years later and she gets to see Mummy. And, and for her, I'm hoping that one day, you know, for my kids you know, in a world where there are so few people of colour on television, or certainly not enough, um, I'd love to know that, you know, my kids can go into into adulthood with it being t- totally normal. So, and it wasn't something that was normal for me, and I want it to be completely normal for them, that they don't have to, I don't have to have these conversations anymore, and they don't have to have those conversations, that it is completely normal to see themselves represented in, in, in the media. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast. I'll be back next week with this year's MasterChef winner, Irini Tsotsugulu, who takes us back to her grandmother's kitchen in Crete to tell me what for her tastes like home. I'll see you next week.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.